1: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Really excited to have you here. This week it's just Rachel and me. We got some fun stories for you.
0: Okay, you say that like we're not a riot. Oh, it's it's gonna be
1: it's gonna be a whole thing. And a whole deal. It's going to be amazing. Uh, But we all Victoria is off this week. So and Mm -hmm. we we don't have a guest this week. So we have some other guests. uh, We are lining up to come uh, be on the show. But this week, we thought it'd be fun just to have the two of us and give us a little more time to talk about some very fun topics. At least I know mine is very fun. Uh, Those of you who don't know, we never share our topics in advance. Part of the impetus behind doing this whole podcast was the Mm -hmm. idea that we just want to surprise each other. And what are those sort of. Over the top things naturalists talk to each other about, and saying, "Well, have you heard about this?" and see if we can come up with stuff that maybe the other <laughs> person does, hasn't heard of. And I'm thinking maybe today, Rachel, I might, I, I, I may have one for you that you haven't heard about.
0: Ooh, I'm very intrigued because I know that you okay. know about right. mine.
1: Well, you probably remember a few weeks, few weeks back, we had Alicia on, uh, and they had a great story about purple dye and the great lengths that dyers went to manufacture that dye from essentially snail slime. Do you remember this? Uh, it was, right. It was I fantastic. do remember that, yeah. Uh, it, made, it made me appreciate Wild. the color purple even more. And then keeping on that color kick, we had an, uh, another guest, uh, Marika, from All Around Animals podcast, and she talked about our perception of color. And so those went together really well. Uh, She talked about how some animals are monochromats. Mm -hmm. They really just kind of see in essentially black and white. Some are dichromats, seeing like they have two different types of color sensors in their eyes. Some are trichromats, most famously like, you know, humans. Um, But we also talked, touched on tetrachromats as well. So uh, if you didn't hear either of those episodes, definitely go back and check those out. It is fair to say that color has been on my mind lately because of those episodes and randomly uh, YouTube recommended a video to me, or maybe it was like listening in on my brain somehow,
0: (laughs) but uh, (laughs) perhaps
1: because I've been thinking about color, I instantly clicked on it. It was a science video uh, from Steve mold, who if you haven't seen him or discovered his channel, uh, you for sure should check him out as he produces excellent and really interesting uh, science videos. So, Steve was interested in All a right. question that ties in really nicely with our last two guests, and so I want to explore some of the same ideas he did in a series of videos from about a year ago. Uh, so, a podcast is not a visual medium, so you're gonna to have to uh, use your your imagination here <laughs> for a moment. But, uh, and I will say that red green colorblind people may find my topic perplexing today, but actually, their unique eye setup is key to understanding a sort of. Uh, philosophical quandary that we're going to get into later so okay. first up I want everyone to picture and think about rainbows rainbows are really just a handy stand-in in this case for you know the full spectrum of colors that we see right mm-hmm. if we could see a wider range of colors we would see a wider rainbow right right but we're stuck with good old R- Roy G. Biv And I remember my dad teaching me about Roy G. Biv when I was a child. I assume most people listening learn the color spectrum this way. But just in case they have no idea what I'm talking about. Rachel, you know who Roy G. Biv is? Uh, Do you know?
0: I mean, I think I know the story, but not off the top of my head. I mean, it's Roy G. Biv.
1: Well, this is like, you know, if you didn't learn the color spectrum this way, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, The name Roy G. Biv is not a real person. It's just a trick to remember the order of colors in the rainbow oh. or in the spec color spectrum, yeah. right? R is for red. O is for orange. Y is for yellow. G is for green. B for blue. And I and V are for indigo and violet. Right. So why we give two names to what is essentially shades of purple Uh, at the end of the rainbow there, uh, we can actually blame Sir Isaac Newton for that. Uh, He was a genius, but also a bit of a mystic who was into numerology and spiritualism and stuff. And he basically thought that the number seven was a magic number uh, and like one of like the perfect numbers in the universe. So we absolutely had to have seven main colors and thus purple got split into two important shades, you know, sort of indigo and violet. And some people argue that indigo is more of a blue, but often it's shown as kind of a purple color. Right. Um, And, you know, it's really weird that we split purple into two, but we didn't bother splitting splitting blue into blue and cyan. Right. Because, well, I guess, you know, eight isn't a magic number. So I'd rather have, like, cyan, actually, because
0: cyan is, like, a much, like, brighter color. Like, it's a blue, sure. And
1: actually super important in all kinds of, you know, colors and dye processes and whatnot, too. Exactly. That's what the C in CMYK for, like, your toner in your printer at home, that C is for cyan. So anywho, I hope you can picture this color spectrum in your head. Uh, Marika talked about how the cones in our eyes can detect colored light. And those cones are often called red, red green, and blue cones. Uh, they're technically a bit more complicated than that, but you, you do hear that terminology out there. If red hot light hits a red cone, our brain you know interprets that and sees red. If blue light hits a blue cone, we see blue, green sees green. This is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we can mix mix those to make other colors. So if both both red and green are stimulated at the same time, we see either orange or yellow. And if you think about Roy G. Biv, the orange and yellow are in between red and green. So if there's a little more red than green, we see orange. If there's a little more green than red, we see yellow. But we don't really have receptors for orange or receptors for yellow. It's just a a trick of how the the light hits those receptors we have. So hopefully that's pretty straightforward. Uh, The same idea is actually used by computers and TV monitors where each pixel is actually three colors, red, green, and blue. And to make any color you want, the monitor just changes the brightness of each color in a pixel and our eyes and brain combine them together to make the colors we see. And this brings us to an interesting problem though. Think back to our color spectrum.
0: Oh, Okay? okay.
1: So sure, if my eye detects 50% blue and 50% green, I will see this blue-green color that we call cyan because it is the color directly between them on the spectrum. Right. But what about purple? Now, this was actually the question that Steve Mould was trying to address in his video. How on earth does a computer monitor... Create the color purple there's only three colors in each pixel red green and blue, right? That's why it's sometimes called an RGB monitor or screen, but uh, Purple is not one of those colors now um, I mix the color If you want to make a color right you you would mix the color to the left and right of it on the color spectrum to produce it Okay, well on one side I have blue uh, And that makes sense because purple is kind of blue, right? Right, so i'm going to use blue as the one color inside but the color on the other side of purple is ultraviolet which is a color that we can't see right right so you can't mix ultraviolet and blue to make purple which is how we make the other colors in our eye is by combining the colors on each side but that doesn't work for purple huh. um if you have a remo- you yeah it's weird right yeah um if you have, a, incidentally, a remote control at home for like changing the TV and whatnot, you might notice there's an LED on the end that you point toward the TV. Mm-hmm. It does light up every time you press a button, uh, but you can't see it lighting up because it's using ultraviolet light to communicate with the TV. And our eyes cannot detect ultraviolet. We literally don't have a cone cell that can detect that frequency of light. So to create purple, we would really need a computer monitor with four LEDs for each pixel instead of an RGB monitor. It would make sense that we need an RGBU monitor with the U standing for ultraviolet. Um, it wouldn't work, mind you, because we can't see ultraviolet. Right. But in theory, for an animal like a bee or a bird that can see ultraviolet, I'm guessing this would be a perfectly fine way to make the color purple. Just turn on the blue and ultraviolet LEDs, and the eyes of those animals would see purple. So here's a weird question then if we can't see ultraviolet and we only have cones that can see red green and blue then how on earth do we see the color purple yeah it it seems like it shouldn't shouldn't be possible
0: right right? technically Um, like yeah because all I'm all I'm thinking about is like when I do like paint pigments like you mix red and blue but that doesn't work the same way for light except it maybe kind of does. So he, here's this weird thing. Um he,
1: yeah, this gets this gets pretty weird. Um if you're a human listening to this, and unless you're red, green, colorblind, you know, you're probably thinking to yourself, like you are, Rachel, hold on. I'm pretty sure I've seen the color purple. Right. Right? So how do we make this happen? You know, maybe look around your room. Maybe you're seeing something purple right at this moment. I own many purple you can things, see yeah. It somehow right so here's the answer color is an illusion it is something we make up in our brains as a way to interpret frequencies of energy there there really is no such thing as the color blue or the color purple or the color red those are just frequencies of energy that our brain is interpreting into something that we can perceive as color right okay so the color purple though Maybe even more of an illusion than all the others. So you were talking about paint pigments. And if there's any artists listening who remember that basic color theory, like you said, if you mix red and uh, purple or sorry, no, red and blue, red and blue, you get purple. Right. right. Think about that for a second. You're going to mix blue, which is next to purple on the color spectrum with red, which is way over on the other far end of the spectrum it is nowhere near purple so if we're talking about these frequencies of light mm-hmm. we're going to mix something from way over on this end into the blue and it's going to make purple
0: which wouldn't is that like technically over to the side like blue? for light wouldn't that create green well when you're mixing
1: different you, you are correct that when you're mixing um different like Mixing light is different than mixing pigments, right? Because it would just um, but it but for
0: well, my my yeah, it's, thought it's was confusing. it's very confusing, but my thought is like your eye would just average it, like oh, well, this segment, this uh frequency and this frequency oh, in see, the so. middle that average yeah, is no,
1: see, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, that's not how our brain works, it's not averaging it out, okay? Um, so what's really happening is, um, the blue cones in your eye do get stimulated by you know, some of the, uh, the purple light that's coming that purple frequency, the, the, when I said we have red, green, and blue cones, some scientists don't like to use those terms because really those cones are sensitive to a variety of frequencies. That's why the blue ones can pick up purple light at all because they are somewhat stimulated by light at that frequency. Likewise, uh, that turns out the red cones in the eye are actually sensitive to a really wide spectrum of light too. And when we see the color, you know, violet, let's say, which is scientifically a frequency of light at 380 nanometers, both the blue and a little bit of the red cones are stimulated. Hmm. And our brain combines the signal from the blue and the red in our brain and goes, oh, purple. And indeed, oh. I hinted at earlier, if if you are red-green colorblind you cannot see the color purple because there's no red signal to mix with the blue signal to make purple. For those of us that can see red, we combine it with the blue signal and we call what we can see purple. But my, my question is, is that accurate though? I mean, purple is real. I can see it. Um, it is a real like, distinct color that appears on the spectrum i i can make purple paint i can wear a purple shirt you know we can we can take the slime from snails and make purple dye out of it mm-hmm. um but it doesn't seem to make any sense from sort of a scientific view of how the rainbow works and the color spectrum works red is about as far away from blue as possible but when i start on blue and move away from red on the spectrum the resulting color is blue with a lot of red mixed in. Like that doesn't make any sense. And what we see as purple is just our brain's way of interpreting a certain frequency of energy. Right. Right. And the color we see is a quirk of our visual system that happens to have really wide filters on our red cones. So how animals perceive color is extremely complicated. Um, If an animal that has cones that are less sensitive to red but they can also see ultraviolet. There's a good chance they see a color in the same place we see purple, but their personal perception of that color could actually be completely different than what we see. I, Isn't that wild? I don't wild? Think we really have an answer for that. They may see a color in that spot on the rainbow mm-hmm. and they may see it and go, if they could talk, say, oh yeah, that that's purple. And we could both look at it and go, that's yes, that's purple. purple. But the actual color they see May be different because they may be combining ultraviolet and blue as a instead of combining red and blue mm-hmm. to make what they call purple, which and sort of <laughs> breaks my brain. Yeah,
0: like that's something like we can't right? even fathom what that color is.
1: Oh yeah. Now I'm curious. Uh, there there are some humans who have had um, like eye surgery where they put in an artificial lens. Uh, and it's actually the lens of our eye that blocks some of the ultraviolet light coming in. Are some of our cones and whatnot can actually detect ultraviolet? So I'm hmm. curious, does purple look different to those people? And and we probably can't answer it specifically like how if it would look how it looked to other animals because you're still mixing a lot of the red in, right? right. because the, the red cones are still sensitive to that. But it's like, that's an intriguing little like, hmm, hmm does purple look different to those people? uh very you know who i would ask
0: i would ask someone who was who's that red green colorblind but has an artificial lens over their eye so
1: we gotta we gotta hunt down that's a very specific uh, that is a (laughs) very specific person yeah (laughs) yeah interesting interesting um, so, look, you know, our our perception of colors is crazy complicated, is mm-hmm. what it comes down to. And my goal for this week was just to, you know, make everyone really ponder how truly strange the color purple is, and maybe, maybe just maybe appreciate what a strange planet we
0: live on. Oh, thanks, Kirk. That's, yep. This is like when I broke your brain. This is like when I broke your brain about the color magenta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my god yeah
1: I, <laughs> I i think colors are just colors are fascinating oh, they are uh well we're, look we're gonna take a break we'll give everyone's chance to sort of you know get your brain back in order after that one and uh we'll see everybody after the break rachel you've got uh you got something special for us right
0: oh yeah
1: awesome see you soon Hey, everyone. I wanted to give a quick shout out this week to uh, Ryan Crum. Ryan, I hope you're listening. Uh, Ryan is getting a shout out because he is the newest member of the Society of Strange. Uh, These are (laughs) these are listeners just like you that enjoy the show enough to contribute over at patreon.com slash strange by nature. People like Ryan help literally pay the bills. And let me tell you, uh, producing a podcast isn't free. So if you like what you hear each week and want to help us uh, keep uh, keep on going and making the show, you can be like Ryan and head over to patreon.com slash strange by nature and check out our different uh, support levels and some of the things you get with those levels. But thanks so much uh, to all of our patrons. And uh, we'll if you're not one of our patrons yet, hopefully we'll see you there soon. But let's get back to the show. All
0: right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but this week I'm talking about something that I'm pretty sure most of us have heard about. Otherwise, oh, most of us—you hinted that I, I know that about it, you, you have heard has? about this for sure. Ooh, but okay. I have a right. feeling that a lot of our listeners have heard has heard about this thing. Okay. Um, well, I mean, otherwise, to be fair, you and I, Kirk and Victoria. We occupy a specific niche of people who know way too much about a lot of different topics.
1: (laughs) Uh, We are renaissance people, if you will, who uh, we we love knowing. Our knowledge is uh, very wide, (laughs) uh, not always deep in every area, but as a naturalist, we try to know a little bit about everything. Exactly. So when we're presented with something novel, we can use all of our little bippity boop knowledge from around the world to sort of suss out what's going on.
0: Exactly. Which is uh why I think most people will know about this, but who knows? Um
1: we got a lot of weird listeners, so hopefully, that's true. hopefully. let's that's find true. out.
0: true. Uh so this week, um before I get into what it actually is, I I, I do want to actually <laughs> You're teasing us Rachel. I am. Teasing I'm us. teasing so hard. So one of the things that we do as naturalists or I don't I know you don't tend to do this as much and I have stepped away from this a little bit, but one of the um, things that one of the activities that we teach with um, kids is fishing. Um, I have taught ice fishing and things like that to kids. I've taught actual fishing to kids. Um, And usually it's uh, not so much casting, learning how to cast or anything like that. It's quite literally just getting the experience of putting some bait on a hook, dropping it down and yep. letting them Do catch a whatever get. rod or something. Exactly. Yep. Now, um, at least here in the Midwest, uh, in Minnesota, a lot of the fish that these kids catch are bluegills and sunfish and these panfish. Yeah, little sunfish. Right? Yep. Uh, and they're Absolutely. cute little round fish with a really like nice dorsal fin and has a pretty distinct uh, like uh, Back fin that. Okay, but I'm I'm not talking about like lake sunfish today. <gasps>
1: oh, Rachel! Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm excited for your topic. <laughs> I know what this yeah, is.
0: Yeah, you do. Today I'm talking I, about... I'm getting. I'm oh.
1: betting a lot of our listeners don't know about this. Oh
0: my gosh! I hope they do. So today I'm talking about the mola mola. Uh, or the Ah, the mola 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 mola. thankfully that is latin i can speak very easily uh also known as the oceanic sunfish so it's not like the sunfish that most people like when they go out fishing it's Mm -hmm. the generally like the fish that you catch is a type of sunfish this is not that (laughs)
1: I need to hold on. find an envelope here. I have an award I need to send you, Rachel, uh, for the... Where did I put that envelope? Understatement of the Year Award. Uh, I'll have to find that. I'll I'll mail it off to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, this is not the Sunfish Small Children. Mm, Uh,
0: Can catch with like a little bit of corn. Oh, no. No. So um, (laughs) the Oceanic Sunfish is one of... It it is the heaviest uh, and I think... Yeah, it is the heaviest bony fish. Now there's another species, not the Mola Mola, the Mola alexandrini. Oh, that rolled right off the tongue. Um which is Beautiful. the giant ocean sunfish. So Awesome. There's a couple different species and I'll kind as of though The
1: sunfish wasn't big enough. As yeah, though it us, wasn't oh.
0: big enough. Um and so I'll kind of talk about both species, both the Mola Mola and the Mola Alexandrini. Um, awesome. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so the ocean sunfish. Uh, so take what you think of as a fish and uh, turn it <laughs> into a pancake. Chuck it out the window. <laughs> Pretty much turn it into a pancake. Make the... Okay, I see
1: where you're going with. Yeah, that, yeah. make
0: the uh dorsal fin, so the fin that's on the back of the fish make it actual like mm-hmm. solid uh fish skin and scales, I guess make the um pelvic fin uh the same, have them be completely opposite the of same each as other the dorsal the fin. same as the dorsal fin, have them be exactly yeah. opposite of each other, and then that rear fin. That most fish have that ray fin that they use to like flap and swim back and their forth. Tail, their tail. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't have that. You don't have that. You have this round bit instead of what is essentially more sunfish skin. So this. And and so oof. just to picture this, they're
1: they're swimming like on their side. Yeah. Or no, they
0: do swim they on their side, but they also will swim vertically.
1: Okay, so they can do both. They can All do right.
0: both. Um, now generally speaking, this fish. And I think. I think Ooh.
1: Rachel, though, when you say a pancake, people are picturing something they could fit in a pan. Oh, you can't fit this in no. There pan. is not a single listener listening right now. <laughs> I don't care how big your pan is.
0: Maybe the world's biggest pan- pancake pan. You buried the lead
1: here, Rachel. No. I, I don't, I, <laughs> tell, no. you're going to tell us how big they are.
0: The oceanic sunfish, generally speaking, uh, they have their, uh, beak, they have a beak. So they're from their mouth to what is essentially their, like a Furby, right, right. It's just like a Furby to the end of, I guess their tail, you would call it. It's actually a special, um, that actually is a special feature that we're going to talk about because, <laughs> um, okay, that is actually a shorter than from the tip of the dorsal fin to the tip of the pelvic fin. Um, they tend to be taller, <laughs> which is so, which is so, so weird. wild. Um, okay, so an average, average adult mature ocean sunfish, which by the way, it takes them about twenty mm. years to be like. Full grown, so well, I'm just gonna drop that okay. tidbit there. Um, Lovely. The average length, uh, so the mouth to the tail is a kirk. Right, tip to tail. It's about a kirk. It's, a kirk. it's a kirk.
1: Well, that's not that's not a unit of measure we use on the show a yeah. lot. That's about six yeah. Feet. So
0: it's about an average of about six feet. The other direction for the oceanic sunfish is eight feet so one and a half rachel's pretty much
1: <laughs> Jeez, so like eight feet tall six feet long and how do you know how wide they are
0: they're really not like wide that's not a number that actually they're pretty flat, they're pretty right? flat. so that's not a number that i really have um so i the,
1: I, I got a picture like about a foot or so yeah probably. they're I mean, really I mean, thin based fish. on the photos i've seen
0: um yeah. which is hilarious so because uh. They can range anywhere from five hundred and forty-five pounds to two thousand
1: two hundred and five pounds. Oh, that's not gonna your little uh you know, fifty-pound test line <laughs> uh down at the pond's not it's it's gonna snap. It's gonna snap, gonna snap immediately. It's not um, working.
0: Um to give a, to convert that for everybody, it's uh two hundred and forty-seven to a thousand kilograms. But to make things just a little bit better uh that's just you know the oceanic sunfish that's not the giant sunfish which looks yeah yeah very, no, yeah, very, very similar um uh, but they just have an added like bump on their um on their forehead it, it, so they're sometimes called the bump head so sunfish um
1: that doesn't seem very it nice it
0: doesn't so for the giant sunfish, they actually are, um, <laughs> so the length, so from mouth to tail, that's 11 feet. tail,
1: yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: And from the tip of their dorsal fin to the tip of their pelvic fin, right, 14 feet. <laughs> oh man, so oh, 14, fourteen foot tall fish—that's
1: eleven feet long. I, uh, I, huh? I knew they were. I knew they were big. I didn't have the numbers in That's, my head because this is not a species that I have ever encountered right? or talked about usually. Uh, but I've you know I've just uh, kind of heard about out and about uh, out in the world. Yeah. Um, good. <laughs> that is. That is so large. I'm. Sort of flabber I'm glad I was sitting down mm-hmm. and good news, pod, you know, podcast listeners, I was not wearing socks when we started recording. <laughs> Otherwise they would have been blown, blown smooth off across mm-hmm. the room. Uh
0: that's that's uh more than two Rachels. That is uh two Rachels and a bit. <laughs> uh that's wow. pretty that's pretty much two Kirks and a bit. Uh, that's more well, than yeah, two, that's Kirk's. B- two Kirks. Uh, two Kirks and a bit. <laughs>
1: That's like, you know, uh, another Kirk standing on my shoulders and then like, you know, uh, raising the hand as a question. Exactly. That's a weird image, (laughs) but that's big. It's a huge fish. I think we're taking the the, the unit of measure a little farther. That is, there's this whole thing of that, like Americans will go to any kind of length possible (laughs) to avoid using the metric (laughs) system. And here we are using Kirk's and Rachel's instead (laughs) of the metric system. Right. like when that the the Chinese spy balloon was over the U.S., they kept on referring it to the size of threes, you know, the, like was it the size of three school oh, buses? Yeah, yeah. But they didn't really specified like if is that was the short end bus? to end or side by side or which size adult, school bus? Well, it's a standard size <laughs> school bus, but it was sort of like school bus is not a unit of measure. Just like say how big right. it was, use meters or use feet, it's fine. Ugh. But yeah, I I still like the the Rachel's unit of measure. It's really so. fun. Sorry, we're gonna yep. keep doing it.
0: Um, and to, to give that even more context, this is uh, 6,000 pounds. Oh. <laughs> so the Whoa. the other ones, uh, the oceanic fish. sunfish, those are 2,000 pounds. So that's still a lot. But. Uh,
1: you're going to need so much shore lunch to batter that sucker oh, up. Oh, like so that much. Is, and the, the pan size you're going to need. Is well, huge.
0: which is funny because.
1: As we mentioned,
0: <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need a huge pan, uh, which is actually really funny because it, it is actually a delicacy in some countries, which is
1: oh really okay, which I was, is wild. I was gonna ask to people eat them. Yeah, yeah, people
0: do eat them. They're not great. <laughs> um, like,
1: have you had one, Rachel? Do you know the that great?
0: is fair? I have not. I'm willing Full to disclosure, try.
1: I do not eat fish, so I really can't. I can tell you it tastes awful. Now, I so.
0: like fish. Fish don't always like me. Is the problem? Yeah. Oh, well. Fun fun fact about Rachel: she go. has. Uh, I have various very specific fish allergies. <laughs> anyway, huh? Fun times. Anyway. So these are like just wild fins that are wild fish, not fins. Well, they have wild fins as well, but they have they have (laughs) wild fins. You were accurate, yeah. Um, but they're just a wild fish just by the sheer size. Um, it. We were talking a little bit about people eating them, but there isn't a lot of like animals that eat them in the first place. Um, once they get to like their full adult size, like attacks and predation on them. So big, yeah. Tend to not occur as much. Um, Part of that is actually thought to be because they're poor nutrition. Um, Primarily what uh, a lot of the sunfish eats is jellyfish, which doesn't give a lot of uh, nutritional value to them. Um,
1: Yeah, no kidding. And
0: it doesn't give them a lot of nutrition either. Um, but they also, uh, are generalists. They will eat a lot of jellyfish, but they'll also eat like small fish, uh, squid, crustaceans. Um, but they'll eat whatever they can find. And actually, uh, one thing that used to be, uh, well known about or what people used to think because they're so big, um, That they weren't really good swimmers because their fins, which I'll get to in a minute, um, are just seem like they're very ineffective. And like you mentioned earlier, like you thought that they swim like flat with, um, yeah, I've seen
1: photos of them like flat, like on in the yeah,
0: and they do that absolutely. Um, actually, the They've been witnessed doing like a basking behavior at the surface of the ocean, but they have been Yeah, that's what
1: I've seen. Um yeah.
0: and they'll like present themselves just to like I guess uh and scientists guess to be like thermally recharging um because they will actually sure. dive down into deeper colder water in order to actually feed and get fish. Um as well as like nice. squid and sometimes even like eelgrass. Um, but because of that, they also scientists also thought like they don't they seem to just follow the currents. They don't seem to really like actively uh, like swim or do much.
1: Well, their 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 food doesn't just sort of floats in the current. So if you float in the currents and your food floats in the currents, that's a pretty good place to. Place exactly.
0: To Which is funny because they actually are pretty good swimmers. Or, well, they're okay. They're decent oh. swimmers. Um, okay. Scientists were able to tag uh, a sunfish, and they found that uh, that in one day it actually was able to, this particular sunfish was able to traverse 16 miles. Um, not necessarily, Ooh. like, completely going, uh, like, like traveling that long of a distance. Some of it was going down into the ocean or down deeper in the ocean and things like that. Um, okay. Okay. But still, um, even with all of that, uh, they are still decently clumsy swimmers. Um, part of it is because they, that large dorsal fin and that large, um, pelvic fin that they have, um, but it's also mostly due to their what we would call their tail fin they don't really have one yeah tell me about that it's called a clavis and that is what science what is it so apparently um apparently that fin when they're born when they're uh are hatched from their egg and are a little fish fry. They have a bunch of little, um, little fins and instead of growing that, uh, that back fin, um, that tail fin, instead of it growing with the fish, it actually folds in on itself and keeps folding in on itself. Okay. It never grows. What? It just folds in. Uh, creating okay. this rudder system to be able to like, and reason why it's kind of a big circle, which is why I refer to it as a pancake. Um, right. That clavis it is pretty much just a rudder, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> um
1: oh so it's not used for for locomotion. Not really. really. It's, it it's it's just, just, a, a, just a rudder
0: They can't they can't really use it all that much cuz it it's just a um it is on it is it honestly is just a bunch of fins that have uh that have folded in on itself over and over to be me, this leathery I think I like can... texture.
1: What it, what it looks like to me I'm looking at a picture here uh for those of you uh, at home who can't you know look at a picture right now or' driving mm-hmm. or something if you know like a um if you have like a pot pie or something and there's that like the edge of the pie oh, crust yeah, yeah. that's been all like you know undulates up and down where someone's gone through and pinched it with their thumb that's kind of what the tail looks like. It looks like a crimped pie crust uh instead of a tail yes. sticking out the back of the animal. But- Weird. It's
0: wild. So weird. And actually, I've been misspeaking. Um, and it's not a pelvic fin because they don't have pelvic fins. It is the anal fin. Okay. uh so they have a dorsal okay, that, and it's, it's uh, really anal far fin. back, so it yeah. makes sense. And then yeah,
1: because yeah. you know if you're picturing that these fins are coming off like the middle of this fish, you're picturing it it's wrong. All it's all like at the end. Oval. Everything's at the back. There's this little crimped fin at the back which I guess isn't really even a fin. And then you have the the anal fin and the pectoral fin, which look like they're the same size, essentially, like wings kind of sticking off at the back of the fish. This is such a strange creature. It is a
0: wild creature. It's It's been on my list for a long time, Kirk.
1: Yeah, and I know you're going to put the photos oh, up. Oh, 100%. Too
0: um I actually have just one more thing that I really wanted to touch on about the uh the oceanic sunfish. And so yep. so we we've talked about I, we were just talking about how uh it, its fins are weird and how it's not like the best at s- swimming. Like it'll do it, but it's not great at it. Well, they have been seen uh, to escape what predators they do have. And it, it, and those include like orcas and like some sharks and things like that, but it it doesn't really like seem to super uh, like, they don't tend to be like predated upon all that much just because they're so big and so, and they're just so nutrient lacking. Um,
1: poor yeah yeah
0: they have actually uh been found to be able to move rapidly enough in some cases to breach the water
1: oh wow that'd be a sight to see up
0: to 10 feet out of the water wow Oh, so you have wow. this big wanna see that now two thousand to five thousand to six thousand pound fish
1: just <laughs> huge out of the water whoosh. ten feet up ten
0: feet up because of how Gosh. like they are able to do that in a short amount of time um but they huh oh uh, that That's would be really wild cool. uh, cool. to see um you do get to they are around obviously they're a vulnerable species. Uh, and they're often found alone, but like a fish this large, like that would be amazing to see. Um, Very much yeah. So. so I just wanted to talk to, I wanted to tell you all about oceanics on fish because it's absolutely it. wild and we haven't covered it yet.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So much.
0: Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, until next time. Bye.
1: Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay
0: curious, and embrace the strange.